Welcome to Ops Fitness Podcast with your host, Scott Bisbee. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Ops Fitness special uh, podcast today because I have been listening to this guy for uh, a while now. He's a fellow podcaster uh, and firefighter, James Gearing. James, how are you? I'm good, Scott. How are you doing, mate? Not too bad. First off, I uh, see uh, in uh, social media uh, posts that you hurt your knee. How did you do it? Um, yeah, I was just uh, uh, hanging an IV bag on um, a patient, a stroke alert that we had. So we were flying down the freeway and they are uh, rebuilding our entire freeway that goes through Orlando. So um, my partner was driving uh, suddenly had to stand on the brakes. I think someone cut in front of him. It wasn't his fault at all. But as you know, in the back of a rescue, if you're standing in the wrong uh, moment, then you can get flung. Well, my my leg was tucked underneath the stretcher and I got thrown forward and uh, pretty sure I ripped something in there, a meniscus or something. So not not terrible. I can still can hobble around, but it's probably going to need a little uh, snippy snip at some point. And no kidding. I actually interviewed a tactical uh, medic. His name was Gary Pomelo, and uh, he uh, survived a, a bad rig crash. Yeah, that sounds a lot worse than what happened to me. Yeah. yeah. Now, this was a minor, minor, minor thing, just a little uh, you know, soft tissue injury. So no, I'm very fortunate to have never been anything like that. Yeah, no kidding. Ouch. Um, so tell me a little bit about yourself, James. Uh, you have quite the story. Uh, you lived in uh, England and wanted to become a firefighter. Uh, how come you didn't uh, become one now and what made you move to the United States? Um, very long story short, because I hate boring people. Um, I am what I now know is color deficient in my vision. Now the term is color blind, which, you know, in, implies that you're either 2020 vision or legally blind. Um, and we all know that's not the case. So I failed the little, uh, ink blood tests that they give you, um, for some of the pages. And I was told by the medical community in England that I could never be a fighter pilot, never be a firefighter, uh, any of the any of the cool jobs. Um, so I'd resign myself that I, I wasn't able to. I'd even helped some friends train to become firefighters. Irony was that they didn't. Um, and then uh, it literally took about 20 years. I was probably about eight, seven or eight when that happened. Um, and then uh, I had got married to a girl I met in America. Actually, excuse me, I met her in Japan. Actually, she was an American girl. Um, and we were just about to move to the U.S., and I was reading a copy of Muscle and Fitness, uh, and it was a Miami Dade fireman talking about his day. And I was like, you know what? Bollocks to this. I can see color just fine. I'm going to find a way around it. So when we moved to Orlando, it was the very first place we lived. There was a fire academy, literally, I think it was less than five miles away from the house. Um, and so I went there and did the pre-medical and they, they showed me the book and I'm like, hey, this is the situation. I can see colors just fine. I just can't see some of these pages. And they're like, oh, that's fine. And they just asked me questions of different objects around the room. What color were they? I passed it fine and then that was it. So I had that moment like, is that all it took? <laughs> um, but obviously my destiny was to come to the US. I love the fact that here we get to do the medical side as well. Um, it really, it really just gives us such a wide scope of practice. Um, and that was about 15 years ago now. 
Nice, nice. Time flies, eh? Yeah, it does. <laughs> Until I look in the mirror and like, oh, maybe it's been pretty rough. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how long have you been a firefighter for? So uh, 15 years total this, uh, this summer. Uh, it started off in Miami for a year. Then uh, my now ex wanted to go to California. So we went out there for a few years, worked for Anaheim Fire, which is a great department. Then we had a little boy, so we moved back to be close to our family. Worked for Orange County for about five years, ended up getting divorced. Um, and as a single dad under their uh, political environment at that point, and being told that you couldn't go home for another 24 hours just wasn't acceptable. I had a little boy to raise, so I was forced to uh, look elsewhere. So I ended up working for where I work now, which is Reedy Creek Fire Department that protects Disney World, just south of Orlando. Nice. Um, do you guys uh, get a lot, a lot of calls for Disney World? Uh, yes. <laughs> There's been people that have come to our department thinking it's uh, you know a retirement department, and they uh, they have uh, <laughs> a rude awakening, as the phrase goes. We will not see a lot of structure fires specifically because they're very aggressive with their sprinkling, which is great. You know, it's life safety. Um, but there's a lot more that happens than people realize. Uh, let's just say that things that you would think would make the news do not make the news. Yeah. So from the outside looking in, it seems like uh, a very safe, quiet place. And it is It is safe. We've got some great people that work there. But there's, uh, you know, the, the same things that happen in other departments happen here too. Yeah, I could uh, probably see a lot of uh, medicals and rescues, maybe. Uh, yes, yeah, and all of that. And then, you know, we get the wrecks and um, probably some uh, more spec op stuff as well. We get, you know, more rope rescues and, um, you know, elevator entrapments, and, um, hazmat and confined space than, than a lot of places do just because of the magnitude and the constant construction that we have here, too. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. What made you uh, decide to start up the podcast Behind the Shield? Um, in all honesty, it was because it wasn't there. Uh, I heard, I think it was on the Tim Ferriss show, um, someone saying that they were looking for whatever it was, a book, a, in a movie, a product, um, and they couldn't find it anywhere. And so they realized, all right, well, in that case, I guess it's up to me to make it then. So and that's, that's what it was with this. There, there are some great podcasts out there, um, especially on Fireground Tactics, um, you know, tools and tips and forceful entry and um, uh, you know, leadership. Um, but there wasn't really anything specifically on not only the, the, the fitness side, but the mental wellness side. And then also, as you've probably seen from my list of people, you know, the compassion, the stories that we have within the fire, the fire department that are outside just wearing bunker gear. Um, and uh, so I'm like, well, right, well, I guess this is it then. Let me research how we do this. And it ended up being, as you probably know, the initial expense is, is not terrible. I mean, really, it's just, if you have a computer, it's just a microphone and some software and, you know, some hosting sites and then that's it. Then it's up to you. And, and then the big thing, obviously, though, is you don't have a podcast unless people say yes to the interviews. And that's what blew me away is when I started reaching out to some pretty incredibly uh, well-known and busy people, they all said yes. And I went from, how am I going to get this going to, oh my God, I've got so many people. How am I going to get these uh, episodes out? Um, so that was when I knew, okay, this is, this is something that's meant to be because the people 
really wanted to reach out to the first responder community, which, you know, blew me away and really said a lot about who they were to take, you know, an hour and a half, two hours of their time. Um, but then the way it was received and listened to and it started to get um, more momentum, um, I realized that there was a, not, not so much a need, but there was, there was a desire to learn the same kind of things that I wanted to learn from these people. And, uh, you know, not only can you, can you learn from here in Orlando, but you can learn literally from Mongolia or the Sudan or anywhere on the planet. If you understand English and you, you have Wi-Fi or an internet connection, you can have access to exactly the same information that, that we have. Oh, exactly. And uh, when I started to do my research for Ops Fitness, I had this idea for a long time now. And uh, when I went on iTunes, it looked like... Uh, uh, nobody had anything uh, like this. And then uh, life got in, in the way for a bit. And then I decided to uh, do this. And then uh, a few other podcasts popped up. So no, it's cool. And uh, like you said, uh, hearing about it on the Tim uh, Ferriss show, uh, the analogy is called uh, Blue Ocean. Uh, like uh, when you do something that no one else is doing, uh, it's a some marketing tactic called uh, the blue ocean and that's where you want to be. Oh, okay. I yeah. never heard that phrase before. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no problem. Um, yeah. Like uh, if you uh, um, say like I'm a personal trainer right now and say I'm doing a fat loss, uh, I'm in a red ocean because everyone else is doing fat loss. Do you understand? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. so you basically have to uh, niche it more, and uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, it is, and that's that's the thing is, as other ones have popped up. I mean, I I did mine, and then I know um, <sighs> Refined by Fire has popped up, um, Fit to Fight Fire. But again, they're their own versions, and you know, your one as well. We we all have our own path. So what I love about it is, as a community, it tends to be nurturing, and people taking care of each other. Business is in the badge, another one. You know, I know with them, we've, we've talked and they've, they've asked me what I do and you know, how, how I operate. And, and it seems like everyone's on the same uh, page as far as, as wanting to, to, to get this information out and make everyone's lives better. So there's not that kind of hoarding secrets. I mean, that's how I learned to do half the stuff I did. It was from, from YouTube videos and people sharing their knowledge. So um, I, I, I love this community. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I, I love it too, uh, just for the reasons you stated. And you're actually the second uh, fellow podcaster uh, I'm interviewing. Uh, the first person I did was uh, Stu Smith. He has the tactical report, I believe. Yes, yeah, I had Stu on. Uh, actually, I'm, I've uh, met him a couple of times now at the uh, TSAC, which is the NSCA's uh, Tactical Strength and Conditioning Conference. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, he usually um, presents there. I know he has Jeff Nichols on his show a lot as well, who's another guy I had. But they're uh, they're phenomenal people. I love those guys. Yeah, uh, they're really great people. Uh, so how long have you been doing uh, Behind the Shield for t- uh, almost two years? Uh, not two years. It's been about a year and a half now. So we, I say, I always say we, it sounds weird because it's just me sitting here and a German shepherd. So I guess it's we. <laughs> <laughs> but um. But yeah, so it's been a year and a half. We, I said it again, I got a uh, thousand, hundred, hundred thousand downloads now of the show. It's, it's almost 105. Um, 
And the episode that just went out was number 77. So a kind of cool side story was we're talking about everyone saying yes. It got to the point where I had so many interviews recorded that it was going to be three months before the most recent one was put out. And I'm like, that is just insane. That's just not going to work because... Um, you know, three months from now, they may, their life might have completely changed, you know? So, um, I ended up switching to two podcasts a week, which is obviously more work on my end. But again, with, with the whole mission, if, if I get two hour a week, that's more immersion, more topics that might reach someone, especially some of the ones on mental health, opioids, um, you know, some of these areas that literally could possibly save a life if it gets to the right person. So... That was uh, that was a cool thing where we doubled up about uh, two months ago now I think it was. Nice. Uh, I haven't listened to that one yet, but it's on my list uh, for Monday night, I believe, when I go driving. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, it's it's a good one. It's short, but um, yeah, his his book um, Dreamland is excellent. I highly recommend it. Awesome. So this goes into my next question. How do you get great guests like uh, the person you just mentioned or like John Travolta? Um, well, John Travolta is different <laughs> because he lives in my town. Um, so, uh, I mean, every, I guess everyone is, is, is a different angle. Um, but really what I found for anyone listening that's trying to reach out to people, everyone has a different way. So like if, if someone tweets at me, I'm not going to see it. I, I, my, I'm so awful on Twitter. I don't even like Twitter very much. I'll be honest. Um, so for me personally, like, a uh, Instagram message, I, those seem to pop up quite obviously or Facebook, um, and an email, but email can get lost in junk mails too. So it's trying to, for me, I, I try and, um, find a mutual friend. That's the best thing now. And obviously the more you do this, the, the more of a, a network you create. But if I can get a human being to talk to someone and say, Hey, this, this, this show is worth going on. Here's what they're doing. Here's their mission. That is the best one. The John Travolta's and some of those are more just coincidence. Um, but the other thing is just, you know, everyone has a website, just, just writing an email and saying, you know, what, what the goal is and who you are and, and, uh, you know, if you don't, it's just like when I did sales, you, know, you throw out 10 of them. If you get one, that's success. So yeah. but usually with this, it's, it's way more than that, which is, you know, very, very surprising. Yeah, that's uh, totally true. I sent you a message about uh, getting in t- contact with uh, Sean Parnell. I-, I have another one for you, too. I'm reading his uh, debut novel. He's a uh, Navy SEAL um, and his book is amazing. Uh, Jack Carr. I think that's the... Is it Jack? You know what? Um, I wish I could go and get it now. I believe that's someone who I'm getting on very soon. Um, oh, that's awesome. Uh, let me... Because I've got so many names spinning around my head. Ask me the next question, Scotty, and I'll, uh, I'll look yeah. that up while we're talking because I think... Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, so do you edit your own podcasts? I do. And that was... Um, uh, a learning experience in itself. And even now, um, like the last one I just put out with Dana, something happened where that was recorded really low and we overcome it as there's ways of kind of cheating it a little bit. But, um, the technical side, and I've heard a lot of podcasters say is, is, is the most frustrating. Yeah. Um, you're at, uh, you're at the mercy of, um, 
you know, the, your internet connection, your setup, the person you're interviewing, their setup, their internet connection, whatever's in the background from them. Um, but yeah, I use a, a, a software called Audacity, which I find very good, but you do have to spend some time learning. And right now I'm learning um, a different kind of software for another project that I've got going on. But there, there's definitely a lot of time invested as far as how to... Yeah, try and try and create as clean an audio as you can to make it as uh, as pleasing to the ear. Because nothing worse than listening to a podcast and it's all crackly or echoey or you know keeps cutting in and out and glitching. Um, some of those you can't avoid, but some of them just take a little a little engineering on the the podcaster side to clean it up. That's that's phenomenal. Because I was going to ask you uh, the software that you use. Uh, yeah, so yeah, Audacity is what I use. I record through Skype usually using a Total Recorder. So for everyone that's in, you know, interested in looking into all those, that's what I use. Okay, cool. Uh, I basically use uh, Zoom, but uh, Zoom and Skype are basically the same thing. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Uh, so I had the name wrong. Jason Casper, who's oh. also um, a spec ops guy. I believe he was a SEAL. Um, and uh, he's a novelist now as well. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Um, so I uh, take it from your social media posts that uh, you are into uh, CrossFit. How did you get into that? And uh, are you a coach? Um, yes, I am a coach. I coach at a, a gym here in Ocala called CrossFit Iron Legion, which is a, a great, great CrossFit facility. We got uh, not only yeah, the regular box stuff, but the the, the owner is a real entrepreneur, so he's really grown it. We've got a, a big, big space now. We've got a lot of uh, cool stuff, the strongman stuff that I use in my class. Um, and uh, my entry to, to CrossFit actually was a little little unorthodox. I, I've always worked out, but one of my fellow firefighters in California when I worked there, um, he had started working out in uh, CrossFit in Huntington Beach. And it ended up being one of the first CrossFit gyms in the country, from what I understand. And so he he showed me, and I'm so bad with the names of the workouts, but it was the 400-meter uh, run, 21 kettlebell swings, and 12 pull-ups, whatever that one's called. Um, and I was like, oh, my God, that it was awful. And I'm like, what the, he- what the hell is this, you know? And everyone's got the same CrossFit story, the, the, the big toast, dose of humility. But that was back in 2007, 2008. So as I tell people, I was in CrossFit before it was cool. Um, <laughs> so I stayed with that. We moved over to uh, to Florida in 2008. So I wasn't able to train with uh, Neil anymore. Um, so I started doing it in the YMCA here. And the funny thing is when I first started doing it, I would get sneered at and laughed at while I was doing you know, these handstand push-ups and these multiple reps of you know the barbells. And, and then we had... Um, we had rings, so and there's another guy that hung some rings up, and literally like, like visibly laughed at by people. Well, then fast forward about three years, where the CrossFit Games were on, I had the same shit bags now lining up to ask me, "Hey, how do you do that? How do you do a muscle up?" <laughs> so <laughs> I always find that funny. So you know, like I said before, it was cool when it became cool. All of a sudden, you know, you you were instead of the the object of ridicule, now you're the cool guy in the gym, just nothing has changed other than perception. So I find it sad in one respect, but it's good that the, the CrossFit um, movement reprogrammed the way people think. It's just insane to me um, how 
uh, fast main, mainstream it's gotten. Yeah, yeah. And what's what's really cool behind the scenes of CrossFit, so talking about coaching, um, is when it first came out, it was very pure. And it was the philosophy and it was, you know, the workout of the day. And then the games came in and that competition element uh, came in as well. And, and I think competition is great, but I think it ruins a lot of things too. I mean, take any of the sports that kids play in high school. You know, the fact that some kids sit on a bench in any school sport to me is, is wrong. You know, it's a sport, it's a game. So that all the kids should be playing and you rotate them through, not the crap kids sit on the bench. You know, in that case, create another team full of crap kids, you know, but they're, not, they're playing a sport to get fit and healthy and run and play and enjoy themselves. It's, you know, but the focus is on, you know, smashing whatever high school or, I don't know, I just, I, I'm not a big fan of that, that philosophy. Um, for for the general populace, you know, if you want to be an elitist uh, player in a team, that's different. But um, and the same with the CrossFit thing. So when the games came in, I mean, I I, I did the I I competed in the charity workouts. I never did any a regular one. But to me, that whole um, eastbound and down phrase, you want to be the best at working out. It kind of it, it's true, you know. I mean, you do want to be the best at working out if you're a CrossFit Games athlete. Um, and I think that's great. But when it became uh, when you needed to spend a lot more time in the gym to be a successful games athlete or, you know, CrossFit competitor, that's when we lost some of the, the, the philosophy got blurred and the general public looked at that like, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. And that's when we started seeing a lot of injuries. Before that, we weren't getting that. Um, you know, there was, there was a lot of um, poor coaching and I myself looked at, you know, I got hurt um, and looked back and I'm like, okay, I can see now where I kind of pre, pre-injured myself and some of my movements that I had. Um, but now anyway, I'm, I'm rambling a bit, but now what's great is that the community is really understanding that the coaches are, are, are setting that, that line down and, and making people realize that, look, you just walked in the gym, you know, you're, you're 80 pounds overweight, learn how to move with no weight at all. You know, let's work, look at your nutrition and let's, you know, let's build your foundation and then build it up from there. I'm not saying that you couldn't go to the games. If that's your dream. You can go to the games, but you've got to build the foundation first. Instead of here's a barbell, here's a snatch, you know, a minute later, all right, let's go in the what, you know, and that's how people were getting hurt. And, and yeah. the, you know, the focus is just being the competitive side. So I think now people are realizing that CrossFit's main goal is to get you better at life. Yeah. And if you want to be that 1% that competes at a high level in CrossFit, that's great. But that's 1%. Don't cater your coaching to that 1%, cater them to the 99 and then have that special elite program for those guys that really, truly want to attack it at the competitive level. Exactly. I uh, remember when that change happened too. It was probably around uh, five years ago. I went to this uh, business conference in uh, Orlando, actually. <laughs> and uh, I was talking to a guy that owned uh, two or three CrossFit boxes in New York. And he was saying how there's a big uh, pushback in the CrossFit community between uh, like the exercise science people and the other crowd. And uh, I guess uh, exercise science people uh, won because I really like uh, how you guys uh, moved into this new area because before a lot of people would get uh, injured and such. And now it's like, no, you got to do this first in order to do that. Yeah. I think it was, I don't think it was any specific 
group so much as just we we were looking around and obviously seeing a lot of people getting hurt. As yeah. simple as that. And that's the thing I've I've talked about a lot is observational science to me is is very valid. You know, if you see a lot of if you go to like I have like four or five firefighter funerals in a year and all those guys were forties or fifties, you don't need to do any damn research. You know there's a problem there. It's the same with, with the CrossFit. When people are getting hurt, um you know, you're, you're seeing as an issue. And then amongst that whole wellness, movement, fitness, strength uh, crowd, other people came out like Julian Pinot, who's one of uh, the guys I have on the show I love. And they just, they make you realize what you're doing wrong. It's not criticism. It's like, okay, here's where all that kipping, all that explosive Olympic repetitive movement is creating imbalances in your posterior chain. The foundation training guys, here's what sitting's been doing. So it created a whole new culture of these brilliant minds that really brought the, the I guess the preventative movement practices in, and and really re reeducated us on on the human body and what we should and shouldn't be doing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not gonna lie, I uh, did not like CrossFit at all. Uh, I uh, tried to uh, get into it when I was in the military, and uh, that was back in 2008 when uh before uh crossfit boomed and i didn't think there was much to it and fast forward uh when i had my personal training studio uh in this uh small town of 12,000 people uh what really uh uh peed me off were uh, my ex clients would uh go to this uh uh box and they would get hurt like really bad like uh i had this one lady that came back to me that uh she was a pro at doing push-ups and she honestly couldn't do uh push-ups anymore because her uh, uh she did so many one day that uh her uh, muscle cells uh kind of uh died i forget what that's called you but, mean the, the rhabdo yeah 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 and uh, and then I, I uh, and then I realized that uh, it was just one bad box, and uh, CrossFit actually changed. So I changed my opinion on it. Yeah, yeah, and and that was the problem is you could you could go for a two day class and get a piece of paper and go and open a yeah. gym, and that's exactly. what I always tell people. You know, it's nothing against CrossFit because you can do an online course and be a personal trainer. Yeah, it's not even touch a person, thing. but. Yeah. So you need to look at the resume of these trainers. You know, if, if they've just got the level one and that's it, you need to ask yourself, you know, why? But if they've got all the certifications and they've, you know, coached for X amount of years and they used to coach at high school, you know, whatever it was, if, if, there's, a, if there's a large resume and you talk to them and you're looking around and you're hearing them coach, and, and a big thing is if, if they tell you to do less weight, that to me is a mark of, of a good coach when, you, when, you, when you're early in, in a CrossFit gym. You know, if they're not screaming at you to throw more weight on, that's a good thing. Yeah. You know, scaling is the best thing about the, the CrossFit gym because you're just standing next to a guy that played in the NFL for eight years. You're not going to be using the same weight as him, but you should have the same intensity once you've been there for a while in your own world. Yeah, I uh, 100% totally agree, James. That's awesome. So have you responded to any calls that you could have discussed while your fitness level has played a role? Um, I mean, yeah, there's some I can remember. There's one we laugh about in, in California where 
It was uh, it was an awesome fire. I mean, it was bad for the people that were involved. No one was hurt, but they, they obviously lost possessions. But I'm glad that we were there. But it was an uh, apartment complex, and the, the ground floor was actually a carport. I think there were four cars in the carport, all all fully involved. So we were first on, and it came in as a car fire. <laughs> it was a car fire, four of them under a giant apartment complex. Um, so we were knocking that down, went upstairs, and... Uh, a couple of my fellow firefighters were up there. Um, and uh, I remember there was there was a fire kind of like under the floorboards of the second floor. And these guys were just whooped. And don't get me wrong, they've been working their rear ends off. But um, so I was able to come in and, and, you know, help them overhaul and finish a job up there. Um, and then they, they made these observations. It's not me, you know, tooting my own horn, but it was it was moments like that where I realized, okay, this this training is carrying on to the fire ground. And, and we talked earlier about this as well. I did VES at the Orlando com- uh, fire conference the other day and it was the same thing, you know, very physically demanding training. It was, it was awesome. It's really, really well taught. Those guys did a great job, but at 43 now, this was, you know, 10 years after that fire, I was just talking about probably, um, still able to, to get it done. Um, so that to me is the big test that we were talking earlier about the CrossFit stuff, you know, if, if it translates to the real world, then you know you're doing something right. Simple as that. For sure. Why do you think fitness should be important for the first responder? And I don't mean just firefighters. I mean police, uh, military, paramedics, etc. Um, it's a It's a double-edged sword. Okay, first side is... Um, you know, we're paid to do a job. And like we talked about earlier... Can you imagine knowing that someone died because you weren't fit? Not, not, you know, not requiring to you be stronger or fitter than you would ever possibly be able to be, but they died because you knew you hadn't trained. That to me would be the, the worst feeling in the world. So we owe it to those people. And the problem is we're not, you know, we're not carpenters. We're not bricklayers. We're not, um, you know, stocking shelves at a grocery store. We're, we don't know what's going to happen when that alarm goes off. And I'm talking about medics and, and police officers too. You know, it's, it's such that uh, the variety of things we might have to do. We might have to drag someone out of a hole. We might have to, you might have to wrestle someone as a medic, as a firefighter. If someone attacks you, you might be fighting for your life. You might have to be dragging, you know, school kids out of a, a school after something awful happened there. So you need your fitness for that. And you need to be way fitter than the average person. I, I 100% believe that. The stuff that we carry around is extremely heavy. Even the medics, the, the Life Pack 15 is so much heavier than the 12. And I don't understand that. But, um, but then on the other side, you paid your dues. When you've had a career as a firefighter, or a police officer, or a, a medic, you've, you've given so much to your community. So the other side of the coin that I'm equally as passionate about is taking care of the first responders while they're working and then when they retire as well. You've paid so much in, you know, into your, uh, your area that you serve that you need to be fit to make sure that you enjoy um, the fruits of your labor. You know, you've done that, you've been very selfless and it's time to go you know, sit on the beach and relax and you're probably going to, you know, if, you're, if you're a first responder type, you're still going to want to help in some way, shape or form. But you know, you're not going to ever be able to enjoy that if you barely make it past retirement. And the average uh, lifespan of a first responder is about 12 years less than a civilian. And I think a lot of that has to do with sleep deprivation personally and the shifts that we work. But um, yeah, you've got to take care of yourself because this job is trying to kill you. 
Yeah, I uh, heard that. Uh, I think I heard that stat on your uh, podcast, Behind the Shield. That's that's crazy. Yeah, and it's real. I mean, I've heard it from numerous people, and I've had some of the top minds on on sleep. And let me be very clear: my my answer has never been to to, to slice up a shift into twelves or eights because those have been proven to be awful for your circadian rhythm as well when you're switching from days to nights. So to me, to be very clear, the answer in the fire service is 2472, which is used a lot around um, the U.S. on the Northeast and then, um, you know, little, little areas here and there. But I haven't met a firefighter that does 2472 that doesn't love it. And that's still a 42-hour work week. So that's more than the average office worker anyway. 2472. That'll be awesome. I think uh, Edmonton and Calgary are uh, 2448, if I'm not. Yeah. yeah, and that's the 56. So, you know, just to, and I, I don't want to harp on this subject too much, but my thing is this if the person bagging your groceries, the person, um, you know, doing your taxes, whatever it is, is working a 40 hour week, do you want the person that shows up at three in the morning? to do drug calculation and work on your, your child when they're having an anaphylactic shock to be, you know, burnt out and sleep deprived. Mm-hmm. And they're doing a 56 hour work week, you know? So to me, it's insanity. A, we should be well rested so we can do our job properly. But B, the proof is out there that it's killing first responders. And we're yeah. talking about, you know, exposures and this and that, which are absolutely valid as well. But we're not attacking the one area that we know damn well is killing us, which is destroying the immune system through sleep deprivation. Yeah. Uh, sleep is no joke because, uh, uh, and the funny thing is, when I was a volunteer firefighter and a firefighter in the military, I would wake up on the blink of a hat every time the alarm went off. But uh, after, when I op- opened up my business uh, to now, I have a CPAP machine. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of sleep deprived and I would like to fix that, but I'm just kind of um, wondering where exactly that came from. Yeah. Yeah. I know that, I mean, the, the shift work definitely does it. Um, uh, that, that causes a lot of issues. Um, I don't know if, where you're at, if you're able to, you know, if, if you're the, the, the weight you want to be on or if you've, you've gained any through your career, but obviously the weight gain is another issue as well. Um, but it is tough. And I know the, the first interview I had with Dr. Kurt Parsley, who's the Navy SEAL, who went to med school and became basically their sleep doctor. Um, we talk about that. It's like the sleep CPAP is not supposed to be a forever thing. It's supposed to be um, it give you the opportunity to catch up on some sleep and then give you the energy to start weaning yourself off through losing weight, through catching up on sleep and all these areas that we can control. But yeah, my, my dorm's full of, full of CPAP machines, which, which says a lot. And I think most people have seen that now in the fire service. Wow. That uh, really makes sense to my theory because I don't wear my CPAP machine all the time, just when I know I'm really bagged. And, uh, when I am uh, not really bagged, I, I think I uh, sleep well because I don't feel really tired the next day. Just my wife makes me well every night because apparently I snore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then that's the problem too. And you're going to get, you know, the, the snoring seems to be part and parcel with the, the poor quality of sleep and the sleep apnea and all these other things that we're seeing. But my whole philosophy when you take a step, a giant step back is 
our forefathers did just fine for, you know, since the beginning of time. And now we're like, oh, you know, we, we need this and this and this and this and this. And it's like, well, do we, or are these all symptoms of something that's far easier to fix, which is when the sun goes down, we should be asleep every single night. Now, as first responders, we can't fix that because we have to be awake. So the next best thing is to give these men and women more time to recover from each shift that they're up, protecting uh, their community while they sleep. Nice. So my next question, I kind of stole this from uh, Tim Ferriss. It's an excellent question. In the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Sleep, 100%. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's the most mind-blowing thing that, that I came across. And I'll give all credit to Dr. Kurt Parsley, who was on the podcast Barbell Shrugged. I'll never forget that episode. I was driving down to work that day, and it was you know, like a light went off because that was the missing thing. You know, I mean, you want to look uh, the statistics of line of duty deaths and, you know, the we're, we're so much safer now. People like um, Keith Tyson, who I had on the show too, have, have really opened our eyes on uh, exhaust fumes, off-gassing gear, you know, all these things, you know, changing hoods. And they've done a great, great job, but these men and women are still dropping dead at the same rate. So it doesn't say that the, the other stuff isn't affecting us because of course it is, but we're missing something. Um, so when, when I listened to that and I became a lot more conscious of my sleep, um, it really added a totally new dimension to my overall wellness practice that, that I'd never thought of before. And, you know, I've, I've, I've always subconsciously used my sick days and vacation like all the time as I accrue them pretty much trying to leave a little bit of a buffer um, because I can feel it in myself. But to hear the science behind it, um, you know, was, was the big thing. And five years ago, I just wasn't thinking about that. So hands down, that's the biggest thing. Nice. If you had two weeks left to live, what would you do? Uh, ask if I could get longer. <laughs> <laughs> um, God, if I, if I had two weeks left to do, I, I stood outside yesterday and the sun was shining here in Florida and we just walked my dog with my son. I mean, my wife came home. Uh, my, my stepson actually wasn't home that day, but I just had such gratitude and I have so many moments in my life where I say, if I died today, you know, I'd be happy. Not that I want to die, but I I feel content. Um, So I would definitely not go to work. (laughs) I'm not going to say that. I would uh, probably just take a trip and, you know, spend the last couple of weeks with my family um, out in nature and by the ocean or, you know, maybe go Costa Rica, the jungle or somewhere someone to get be back from the very planet that, you know, that, that birthed us in the first place. Nice. But as, but as far as would I do anything differently or have any regrets or no, I mean, every day I try and live, you know, as fully as possible. And, and don't get me wrong. I'm going to give some, some, uh, you know, mythical vision of, of, of my life. Like I wake up and achieve these amazing things in 24 hours. But, um, Again, it's that kindness thing, you know. And in those two weeks, it's still continue doing the same things, you know, do the podcast and try and try and make as much of a difference before that final day. Nice, nice. So you definitely don't want to go up north where it's uh, cold and snowy. <laughs> no, I think I'd probably give that a skip. Now, if it happened in you know a few more months, then maybe to uh, to avoid the <laughs> the incredible heat of Florida. But right now, our, our weather's perfect. Nice. 
So if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? Um, uh, it would be the, the two things that I think every religious book should have. And I think it would sum it up. You know, be grateful and be kind. Nice. Because if you are grateful for what you have and you're kind to other people, I think that pretty much summarizes all, you know, well, in a well-meaning religious doctrine. Nice. So when you feel overwhelmed or unfocused, what do you do? Um, usually exercise. So if I'm stressed out, um, you know, I will move. Now, what I've learned recently from people like Jeff Nichols and uh, George Carvajal is you can be like just adrenally fatigued, um, coming off shift or, you know, just overwhelmed. And then you go do a red line workout, do a Fran or, or a, a Murph or something that's going to just crush you. Um, that adds to the, to the problem. So what I have realized now is moving in a, a lower gear is, is a good way of resetting. So I don't go out and kill myself anymore, yeah. but I might go, one thing I like to do is go to the gym and just do some work on the rings and do handstands and move the yoke around and, um, just get the blood pumping, but without redlining a workout. Yeah. I totally agree with you uh, because when my dad went missing, I just exercised. Uh, I'm not sure if you noticed, know but um, I'm doing an ops fitness challenge, which is 100 squats and 100 push-ups per day. So I was just pumping them off like no one's business. Oh, excellent. <laughs> and uh, uh, everyone deals with uh, stress differently. My my wife kind of said to me after, you're, you're kind of like a cold-hearted bastard. And I'm like, no, I just deal with stress differently. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that, that uh, what they call that? Compassion fatigue, I think is the name, um, is something that a lot of first responders you know, suffer from. And it's not, I don't think it's a bad thing. I just think that people's version of a bad day that have never done this job is, you know, is, is offset by what we see. So it's not that we're cold. I think a lot of times, you know, something happens, Oh, it was terrible. And you just came from someone whose entire family was killed in the minivan. You're like, yes, it was bad for you, but trust me, you're still having a great day. So yeah. it's, a, it's a hard sell with your family sometimes, but I, but I understand it. And I think a lot of us see the same thing. Yeah, for sure. So what advice would you give to a smoke-driven kid that wants to become a first responder? Um, understand your why. So really delve in and make sure that's what you want to do. Because if you do, that will carry you through everything. I was a straight C student in school. And when I finally got into that fire academy in, in Orlando, I was a straight A student there, a straight A student in medical school. And the only, only thing that changed, because I've been a straight C student in UF. <laughs> so the only thing that changed was that desire to learn and, and, and be the best. So if you, if you truly have that burning desire to be a policeman, a fireman, a, a medic, the interview questions, you know, when you sit in front of someone, that's going to show. You don't have to rehearse some bullshit, you know, canned answers. You, you just speak from the heart and, and it will come out. So, and that same why will then drive you to work out, you know, every day it will drive you to study, will drive you to, to uh, maintain good grades if that's what is going to get you a high school diploma, you know, whatever it is. But I think that's, 
that's the secret to, to most things. You know? And if you find an area a chore every day when you wake up, that's probably not your burning desire. So the thing is, is to find it. And if, if being a policeman or a fireman or a medic is what you want to do, then, then believe. Once you have that why, you know, then don't let anyone dissuade you. Just go out and get it. Awesome. And I am going to steal a question from your podcast. Please. Uh, do you know anybody uh, uh, that would be fit for this podcast? Um, that's a great question. It's funny because that always stumps people. And actually stumped me just for a moment. Because <laughs> so, Do I know? Yeah, I know, I know hundreds. So which one would be, uh, would be good? Um, I would say, uh, let me see. Um, I mean, Kurt Parsi's a, a great, great person. Cause again, I, I would spread the hell out of the whole sleep message. Um, another one who's really, really great is, uh, Rick Seagrass. He's the, uh, founder of the fire sled. He's a good friend of mine. Um, he'd be a good one on, on the fitness side specifically. Um, so yeah, there's a couple of good ones from, from either extreme. Awesome. Wicked. Thank you. And, uh, the last question, uh, what would you say to the military member or, uh, the firefighter that wants to get in shape, but they don't know where to begin? Um, that's a super easy one because, the problem people have is that they visualize where they want to be. And then looking at that, trying to kind of chunk that up, it looks just overwhelming. So the big thing is pick one thing that you're going to change and start with that. So whether it means joining a local gym and, and just that, just join the local gym, walk in and meet the people and make that first step. What I love about CrossFit gyms specifically is once you walk through the door you will get swept away and an hour later you've already done it and you haven't even thought about it. So the YMCA or some of the other ones that I've worked at too, they're great, but you know, you do, you do three sets on a machine and you go, ah, you know what? I think I'm good. Then no one's going to stop you. You start a CrossFit class. And then, like I said, a, a gentle one, intro class, one that they're going to you know, teach you how to move and you, you're going to get over your fears of you know, you know, looking silly or whatever it is. Once you show up, you're there for an hour and you're going to realize that it's fun and, and, and your fears are, are unfounded. And then an hour later, you're huffing and puffing and, and then just you know, so glad that you did it. And it's going to be a lot easier to return. But then the other side is the nutritional things. I dig into to how you eat and just find one thing to change, whether it's you know, processed foods or you know, are, you, are you eating the, the regular vegetables, not the organic vegetables, go to your farmer's market, learn, you know, just, just learn one recipe. But if you try and change everything at once, you, you're most likely to fail. But pick one area, let's say a week, and start chipping away at it. And before you know it, a year from now, you'll look back and you'll be a completely different person. That's perfect. Um, a part of my uh, nutrition program, I'm a, a PN coach, precision uh, nutrition and uh, it's basically the same thing. Uh, you, you work on um, a habit, one habit, every two weeks. And the next two weeks, you work on two habits. And the two weeks after that, you work on three habits and then so forth. And, and in a year's time, you're a completely changed person. Yeah, yeah. And I, I agree with that 100%. You know, it's, depending on how far back you are, um, you might have a, a lot of work ahead of you. I've got a 
um, a great guy that's in my gym um, who does my class. And, uh, you know, he was basically 500. Yeah, that he's got, he's got a long journey. And, and when he's exercising, it's causing, you know, pains in his joints. And, you know, he's got a lot of challenges, but he just keeps showing up. And now he's down to, I think on the scale, I want to say low fours now, but he's a big, strong dude. So a lot of that is going to be muscle mass as well. But, you know, two years from now, he's going to look completely different in three years. But if you're only trying to lose, you know, 50, 80 pounds, then, you know, a year, you, you're going to look completely different. So no matter where you are on that scale, just show up. It's the biggest thing. Don't be intimidated and don't, and create that like Jocko Willing talks about, you know, discipline equals freedom. Just create that routine that becomes every day like brushing your teeth. Exactly. So the last part of the podcast, uh, or the most fun, uh, this is called No Bull, Rapid Fire Questions. So just one or two word response. Are you ready? Okay. Right on, James. Okay. Best purchase under $100? My podcast microphone to allow me to, to create the show. Sweet. Favorite exercise? Strict ring muscle-ups because they're so damn hard. They look very hard. <laughs> What's your favorite piece of exercise equipment? Um, I'd say rings. I really do love the rings. They're so versatile. Cool. Top three favorite books? Uh, Tribe, Sebastian Junger. Um, uh, Extreme Ownership is great. Jocko Willink. Um, and actually, uh, a fiction bird song by Sebastian Falks uh, is definitely my favorite fictional novel I've ever read. Right on. Beatles or Elvis? Uh, Beatles. Favorite song? I love as a, as a guy called Passenger. So anything by Passenger, I absolutely love. Right on. Football or American football? <laughs> uh, football, because you use your feet. It makes yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Favorite body part to train? Um, the mind, definitely. Right on. So that's the end of the podcast, and you are officially my long, longest podcast ever. It's been an excellent interview, James. Are there any parting remarks that you would like, like to add? Um, if anyone is listening to this, you're already on the right path, but just, just keep learning, keep getting out there. We've been, I don't mean this in a conspiracy theory type way, but just the way it's happened, we've been lied to about so many things, um, regarding our health, fitness, nutrition, some of it, you know, because people were maliciously trying to rip us off and, and, and other times it was just misinformation and misunderstanding and, you know, getting led down the wrong path but the way we the way to eat is so simple the way to stay healthy with exercise is so simple um so educate yourselves on the right way educate yourselves on sleep on mental health and uh you know just be your own physician as they say you know you can take control of so much of your health just by changing some of your your lifestyle habits Awesome. Awesome. Well, once again, James, thank you so much. And for everyone listening in, make sure you check out Behind the Shield podcast. 
And I will see you in a few weeks. All right, mate. Thank you.